This show is brought to you by Cakes and Tins, where you can send the people you adore delightful and delicious gifts that give back. Go to cakesintins.com and use the code ACTINGREAL for 10% off. This show is also brought to you by LA Bookmaker, a deluxe stationery shop and custom bookbinder, offering handmade foil stamped cards, high quality calendars, and other ephemeral gifts. Go to la-bookmaker.com. Our clarity story today comes from an anonymous listener uh, who reached out to me on Instagram um, with some incredible stories. Uh, this person has just such a broad and rich background. Um, and uh, the story that they sent me initially was um, about clarity they'd had reading a book, which um, I thought was brilliant, but it, it was clarity sort of about the theory of the book. And I was pushing them to come up with, uh, with how that the clarity about the book related to some clarity personally. Um, and we kind of went back and forth a bit and I just was so impressed by this reader's, um, thoughts and, and, um, history. And the next morning, uh, this reader sent me a story that, that really floored me. And I th just think it's so beautiful and I'm going to read it to you now. Um, and I also think it's particularly complimentary to Nadine's story, um, Nadine Crocker, this episode that you're listening to today. Um, uh, this reader, um, th sorry, this listener has a, a visual impairment and makes mention of that in the story, um, which you'll hear in a minute. Uh, this story is called Dad's Last Day, and it may have been part of a eulogy. It may have been part of a separate piece of writing. I don't know, but um, I'm going to read it to you now. Dad's Last Day. Right now, you probably have some rather strong negative feelings about my father, as I did for many years, and what I am about to tell you will not wipe that all away, but it will dramatically change your perspective. First, let me bring you up to speed. After my parents separated and my dad went off to live with his longtime girlfriend of eight plus years, a few things changed. My father realized all my mother had done for him and my sister, brother, and I. She worked full-time, was always taking classes to advance her career, and took care of most of the household management, plus was his best friend. Moreover, she had forgiven him for his occasional bad, and for most people, unforgivable behavior. So he started treating my mother like his girlfriend, buying her gifts, taking her places she had always wanted to go, telling her how much he loved her and missed her and appreciated her for all that she did. Thus, after about a year, my father moved home and they replaced their two single beds with one queen-size bed and had their final few years together, which were by far their happiest. They traveled and treated each other as they always should have. Before I tell you about my father's last day on this earth, I should give you a little background about his physical state and mental state. His younger brother had died of a massive heart attack at 41, and he had a heart attack himself about four years before his death that revealed he had a serious heart condition called cardiomyopathy. So we knew he did not have long to live, especially because after his first heart attack, he had entered an experimental treatment program at Johns Hopkins Hospital with 13 other patients, and he was the last one left alive at this point. Looking back on it, I realize even though he did not appear to be getting worse, he gave my older sister and older brother their birthday presents over a month early, so he must have felt his time was running out. On my father's last day, I was competing a horse 
in my first horse trails, which is a three-phase event, dressage, cross-country, and show jumping. I showed in hunter, jumper, and equitation classes growing up from age seven and had shown in some dressage shows during my time competing, uh, completing the instructor's certification course at the Westmoreland Davis Equestrian Institute where I trained with and studied under 1976 Olympic three-day gold medalist Tad Coffin and his instructor Raul De Leon as well as former United States equestrian team show jumping coach Bertolan de Nemethy former USET eventing coach Jack LaGolf, and Grand Prix dressage trainer Gunnar Ostergaard. But this was my first horse trails, so I was rather nervous. My parents arrived late that day, and when I asked why, my father took me aside and said, your mother surprised me by bringing me breakfast in bed in a black lace negligee, and she was the dessert. That day, my dressage was good, and I went clear on cross-country, but too slow. It was a very hilly course with lots of twists and turns through the woods, and I realized with my poor vision, it was A, better to take my time than get lost, and B, eventing was not going to be my career equestrian discipline. Then came the show jumping phase, and I asked Dad if he wanted to walk the course with me. He did, and I talked him through how I would ride it. He was impressed with my strategy of the line I chose to take through one very tight turn, and then to ride the triple combination very forward, accelerating, asking my horse to take a long, powerful strides. Then Dad filmed it and gave a play-by-play account of my round, and after he put the cap on, recorded himself saying, what a day, what a way to end a perfect day. I finished fourth or fifth overall because of my time penalties on cross-country, But after the awards ceremony, my dad put his arm around me as we walked back to the trailer and said, I want you to know I am proud of you and love you. You have the horses and you should stick with riding and teaching. That was the first and only time my father told me he loved me. So I did my best to follow his advice and rode and taught as much as I could for the next 22 years. I was 25 then and stopped riding and teaching at 47 in an effort to find a better way to earn a living and have a more positive impact on the world. After the event was over and we decided to watch a movie together, Mom, Dad, and me at home. It was a movie with a surprise ending and Dad got very excited and said, watch, this is what's going to happen. And he was right. He was so tickled with his correct prediction, he started laughing very loudly Then the laughter changed to gasping, and he clenched his chest. I said, Mom, call 911, and she did, as I began giving Dad CPR, because I had trained for this moment, and I was determined to save him. But even though I kept air going in and out, unbeknownst to me at the time, his heart wall had completely burst like a balloon, and nothing would save him. A few minutes later, the ambulance arrived, and they continued to give him CPR all the way to the hospital, where they tried to shock his heart electronically, and then finally did a sonogram and saw that the damage was too great. The next day, as I watched the video my dad made at the event, and I heard him say, what a way to end a perfect day, I realized we must do our best every day to cherish the moments we have with the ones we love and to do our best to be kind to everyone. Because some days may seem long, but years fly by and life is short. Also, I forgave my father for his mistakes that day, hoping that he would rest in peace and that I could heal and move forward, knowing he meant it when he said, I love you, I am proud of you, you have a talent. 
Finally, please do not wait until your last day to tell the ones you love that you love them and are proud of them. I'm so grateful uh, to this listener for sharing this story. Um, I'm so moved by it, and uh, I hope you enjoy today's episode. If you have a story about a time that changed your life, it can be very mundane. You were hanging out by yourself and you had a thought, or it can be crazy, crazy. You uh, were drinking plant medicine and you had a vision. Um, Whatever the story is, If you want to share it, I want to hear it. I really, really, really do want to hear from you. Please email me at claritystories at actingrealpodcast.com. That's claritystories at actingrealpodcast.com. My guest today is Nadine Crocker, uh, who I had the insanely amazing fortune of working with last year on a movie um, that she starred in and wrote and directed um, about her life, specifically um, about her suicide attempt, um, which in real life happened when she was 23 years old. Um, This woman is a force of nature. Uh, She is one of the most insane manifestresses that I have ever met. Um, She is has done just like piles, heaps, years of work on herself. Um, She has struggled, um, obviously, with depression, which of course led to her suicide attempt, like I mentioned, when she was 23. Um, and, um, And she's very open about how she continues to struggle, um, less than she did when she was 23, although she really has her days and weeks and months. Um, but this woman directed <laughs> and wrote and starred in such an incredibly powerful movie, a movie that I f- absolutely believe, know, um, and I feel great conviction about this. Um, I know this movie will actually save lives. Um, it's extremely powerful, extremely moving, um, and just shocking and well-made and, um, just will, will really suck you in when you see it, which you will. (laughs) Um, I, we talk about so many things, Nadine and I, and it's just so rich, this conversation. Um, she is just continually ignited with so much feeling, um, about her work, about her life, about helping other people, so much passion, um, passion for helping others. And um, I'm just blown away by her and so inspired by her. Um, and I think you will be too. For those of you who don't know Nadine, she is a director, writer, actress, producer. She, uh, her f- feature continue will be released. Uh, in the next year. Um, She wrote, directed, and produced this alongside Cassie and Elwes. Continue is based on on her life, which I just mentioned. Um, This is a bio that I'm reading. If you can't tell, I'm really bad at this bio stuff, you guys. Um, So aside from Continue, which will blow you away when you see it, 
Um, she, uh, you may have also seen her on CW's Supergirl or as Juliet in Rodeo and Juliet on Netflix or in the indie Toy or in Eli Roth's new re- remake of his original film, Cabin Fever, uh, and so much more. Um, truly Nadine is a phenom and I, and I really can't wait to, for you to hear what she has to say. It's just extremely expansive and so inspiring. And, um, I feel really lucky that we got to chat with her on this podcast. Thanks guys. One more thing I wanted to mention, uh, this uh, podcast episode is a two-parter, as many of my episodes recently have been. We recorded the first part of this episode in December uh, outside, live outside at my house, uh, socially distanced. Um, But if you hear a little background noise, it's because we are recording outside. And the second part of this, we recorded via Zoom just last week. It is a skeleton. Discover where the bones go. What I need for my life, I am drawn to create the play. So I was just saying, I feel like I have a fairly specific agenda with you because, um, so we met, I played your sister in your movie that you wrote and you directed. Um, and you, this movie has turned out so incredibly well. You're a first time director, first time writer. Yeah. Yeah. First time writer. And you just have like such a cool story with so many ups and downs. Um, but you're right now on like sort of I would say a, a bit of a high or, you know, like the crest of the wave. Um, is the crest the high point? Or I, the, don't, I, I don't. I don't know. Either. <laughs> um, but like I, I, I think it's the higher one. But, you know, sort of like on on a bit of a higher or, you know, in life, like whoever knows. Right. But it yeah. seems like this big project is coming to like an end for you or or a beginning. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> but um but your story of how it got there um, and how you got here is so just human and full. And um, like you are, I just need to, I, like I need to hear about you and you're, you, you have tremendous manifesting powers. You're also <laughs> what, 30 years old? Yeah, 30, uh, 31 now. Yeah, yeah. the story <laughs> like, about how this all came together is just so bananas. So I kind of, I'm probably going to interrupt you, but can you like start? Can you just tell me? Can you start from where, I guess, where would you start with the story? I know this is like that's like the hardest thing when you start with the story of how it all came to be um I guess I mean it comes from so much further beyond just battling depression depression in my own life I mean my grandfather committed suicide and uh, most of my life I've you know communicated a lot to my father about that so that was it was already something really passionate within me of seeing how suicide affects people um and the hole it leaves and the wounds it leaves that will never heal and all of those things. But also knowing at a young age that basically most of my family was on, like not immediate, but you know, are on some sort of antidepressant. Depression runs deep within us crockers and uh, Mm -hmm. along with a million other 
issues, <laughs> you know, like genetically, I, I'm Native American and Irish. So like from like birth, I think we had obstacles that were for sure going to come up and, you know, sobriety and all of those things have been part of my journey. Um, so I think I always knew I was probably going to have, I think at a young age, I knew I already had some depression and different things. And mm. I just knew I had a lot of emotions. Um, and I was a creative, so that wasn't easy. And my father is a creative and um, seeing him give up his dreams at a really young age, I think, I mean, well, the suicide of my grandfather is what made him finally give up music. And so I was born in Nashville, Tennessee because of that. Mm. And, um, and I think seeing the wound that was left from him giving up those dreams and that was all stemmed from that suicide and all of those things is what made it very clear to me. I could never give up. I had to go for my dreams and mm -hmm. I didn't want to have the same regrets as my father. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I grew up in a very like, I remember listening to my dad write and sing in our kitchen, even though he had already given up his dream. So he was still mm -hmm. writing, still playing, you know, and there was just so much more in him. Mm -hmm. And we turn this mic toward your mouth a little bit. Yeah, like that. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> so there was so much more in him. And I guess I just didn't ever really want that to be me. I didn't want to. I knew I. I just knew from a young age, like I watched his music videos and I knew I wanted to be the girl in his music videos. And like, you know, like I just knew I, I wanted to do creative things and I had a lot to say. And and then as life progressed and I, uh, God, I feel like this is like going to be the longest answer. It's basically going to be my whole story because it well, really that's did lead fine. Me to I that. mean, we can sort of tell it. I think. Yeah, we we could tell it sort of however, but this is I love that this is where you started. Yeah. OK. Um. Yeah, so I um, dropped out of high school at 16 and moved to L.A. on my own and had three jobs from 16 to like 30, <laughs> you know. Three, and, three acting jobs? No, three oh. restaurant jobs, okay. like every other job you can have at acting jobs. I was like the queen of like up for everything big. Hadn't quite, you know, I, I work. I, I've worked, you yeah. know, but not necessarily on some of the stuff that I was always up for. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, yeah, it, you know, long road of rejection, which never, ever helped my, you know, confidence or depression or any of those things. But basically, long story short, jumping forward, being in Los Angeles by myself for a very long time, um, not a ton of friends, uh, you know using substances to try and kind of get through that loneliness. And um, inevitably it, it led me to some of the deepest depression I've ever had. Um, numerous attempts on my life, I'd say, if I'm, if I'm honest, I was very frivolous with my life because I was just so severely depressed and I just felt like my life didn't matter. <sighs> Long story short, you know, that'll always be something I battle. That'll always be something that's passionate, a passion of mine, you know, depression, talking about depression, suicide prevention. You know, I look at the life I have now and had I succeeded, then none of this would be possible, you know, mm -hmm. and that was kind of where continue started. That's, um, you wanted to tell your own story. I wanted to tell my own story, but I basically wanted to tell my own. I always felt like I always felt like such a freak, you know, that I was mm -hmm. so sad and mm -hmm. that I had so much sadness within me and I felt so lonely and um, and I felt like other people probably don't feel this way, you know. Mm -hmm. And as I talked more about it and communicated, I feel like I realized that more people 
did feel that. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't as unique as I thought in a lot of those things. And, you know, the more that I talk about it, like even till this day, it's, I get more love back, more kindness back, you know, more messages pouring in when I talk about mental health than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I just knew that I had to tell the story. And it was like nine years bringing this to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really working on it like five years. Sorry, working on the script yeah. for five years. Yeah, okay. I'd say so. Because it was like an idea. I mean, for like seven to nine years, it's been an idea. I've been doing these scenes and acting classes. I've been trying to figure out uh, my story, working through drafts, you know, just like cultivating when you're not a writer and you have, I mean, you know, a lot of, I think my problem has been confidence because I didn't, I have a ninth grade education. You mm. know what I mean? Like I left high school and, and, um, I think my confidence, I just like, didn't think I could write a movie, you mm. know, you're like, what? I'm not smart. I'm not this. I'm not that. God, I'm like almost crying over here because the <laughs> end of the story is just like, I can't, it's just, it's just you're I just you're just such a f- f- phenom so okay so you're and I, I don't mean like I don't want to make you like uncomfortable I'm not eligible no I'm already no, crying it, it now too because like you phenomenal like what you've like where where you came from and what you've accomplished here in this and and I and I think like it's a real credit to I mean, I'm curious what you would credit it to, um, but I guess we can get there. I still just want to like keep going with the story. So, okay. So let me just like, if I'm not, I'm not good at math. So let's say you're like 23 and that's when you're starting to think about writing this screenplay. Well, 23 is when I tried to commit suicide. Okay. So I'd say, God, I'm so bad with age and numbers and things like that. But um, probably like 25, the idea started coming in my brain you know, to want to create this story, to want to talk about these topics. Um, and, uh, and sorry, at 23, can you, I mean, you know, go into as much or as little detail as you want, but like, did you wake up in a hospital? Is it like the movie or? Um, yeah. So it's like based on true, like, that's what I always say. It's so funny because continues based on true events, but I, the way that it's, um, the way that everything was written is for my message in the end yeah, yeah. and, you know, yeah, where yeah. the film, you know, the journey the film takes you on and, and I don't want to go too far into that because yeah. I can't wait for people to yeah, discover that yeah, when yeah. they go don't on that ride. Spoil it. Yeah, spoil no spoiling it. of anything. Yeah. Um, but uh, the truth of the matter is, is that night uh, I had taken... Uh, a lot of pills and I had drank a lot of alcohol and um, a lot of the pieces of that are still kind of blurry to me. Mm. I know that I cut my arm open with the whiskey bottle. I took like three, two or three bottles of pills. How many pills were in each bottle? No idea. Mm. Um, You know, the one part of the story I always love to tell is that I was on blood pressure medication at the time I was I've I'm I have a lot of health issues I'm I don't have a very like <laughs> healthy body I have issues with my kidneys and so at the time I had really high blood pressure and it probably didn't help that I was like you know taking substances and, yeah. <laughs> and drinking and yeah. you know 
drugs and at the time, you know, dabbling in cocaine and things like that, which obviously didn't help. But I was like, oh, it's cool as long as they take my blood pressure medicine. <laughs> Fucking terrible, you know. But um, and what I've I've thought about since, like the only reason I'm bringing attention to that is um, blood. If I would have taken that bottle of pills, I'd be dead. Like blood pressure medicine mm. would have killed me. Yeah. And I didn't take that bottle of pills. Mm. I took the Valium. I took the Xanax. And I believe I took the antidepressants. Mm. Um, but and me and my ex at the time were fighting and it was just it was a whole thing. It was a whole messy, messy thing. And he ended up um, calling the uh, police to come to to come help me, basically, Got and it. then left like I guess when they were there or when they were I don't know exactly what happened yeah. all I know is that like all of a sudden I hear a knock on the door and I kind of came to and you know this is the part of the story it's like always a little bit embarrassing to me but um uh I was in my brown underwear like w just like the film like that's why I kept everything very yeah. authentic to that I was in my house that's how I always am when I'm at my house like I don't yeah. wear a lot of clothes when I'm at yeah. home that's just who I am and um I opened the door to Two male paramedics, two male cops, I believe, or maybe it was three male paramedics, mm -hmm. two male cops, mm -hmm. and just me in my bra and underwear. And I'm mm -hmm. like, hey, fellas, like, you know, mm -hmm. and then I turn on the charm and the this and the that, and I never mentioned the pills. I don't mm -hmm. think they ever knew there were pills in my system. He told them about um, me cutting myself um, because the, the cuts on my arm um, – Anyway, long story short, I charmed the shit out of these dudes. I convinced yeah. them that he was the crazy one. Like, and yeah. I, which is not accurate. I was so unhealthy at that time, you know, yeah. and, and I want to take responsibility for it. And, and, um, basically they told me if I could get anyone to come, they would leave me because mm. I didn't seem like a threat. Yeah. Um, but it was like three and four in the morning and yeah. no one was answering my calls. And, you know, like I didn't really have anyone in town either. Like who was going to answer? You know, yeah. I had a couple friends at the time. No one answered. Um, so I had to go in. And then once I got in, then mm. comes a social worker and the evaluation and all the things. And, you know, and like once again, how I was doing all this with that many pills in my system, the things mm. like it's just kind of like your will to get out of things or like my cognitive mind like took over and mm -hmm. you know I feel like I have never really fully told this story in this book volume so it's like yeah. um anyway yeah I ended up talking my way out of a 5150 I talked them into releasing Sorry, me. people don't know necessarily what that is the 51 oh yeah 5150 is what um you are like charged with when you are a threat to yourself or a threat to someone else um, and you will be then taken in for observation. It can start out as a 72-hour hold, uh, and it can go as long as needed if you are more of a threat. There's mm -hmm. obviously different appeal processes, and, like, then it goes to the courts, and, like, you know, you have to basically... Convince them. Yeah, convince them crazy. to get out. Yeah, yeah, and your lawyers will convince them, and or they see you're not a threat, and they release you, yeah. which is what happens on most of people's 5150 holds. You know, like, by the time you sober up or by the time this or right. that, like, they right. let you go. Right. Um, anyway, long story short, I ended up getting out. I didn't go into a mental institution. I ended up going, uh, getting out. They released me to my ex just to get out. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I basically convinced them that he was the problem. Then I convinced them <laughs> he was the only person who could pick me up wow. because my parents didn't live in town, you know? Yeah. Anyway, long story short, I went back to my parents right after that, got clean, um, 
didn't, I don't think it stuck though for a bit. I think I went back to drinking for a little bit and then finally got completely sober after that. That lasted two years and partied my ass off a little bit while I was filming a bunch of movies and, and then came back to it. And is that what's <laughs> happening? Like it's so you, you got sober, then you started doing movies. Then, um, like, can you just jump forward to you're pregnant and what happened? When <laughs> oh my God, pregnant? that's like a big jump. But yeah. Yeah. Basically I got my life together. I, um, I got sober. I, you know, there's a lot of road. There's a lot of uh, journey in between that, you know, and my journey is probably not very different than a lot of other people's journey. A lot of rejection, you know, not famous enough to play the lead, too pretty to be the best friend. Like, you know, just that weird place. No one knew what to do with me, you know, didn't know exactly. Like, I'm definitely the edgy chick, but like, you know, I just, I feel like, you know, I'm weird. I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not one thing. I'm, you know, and, and I didn't want to pretend to be one thing anymore for them, you know, uh -huh. and for people. And I played the, you know, edgy role and played into that for so long and the sexy this and the that. And like, truthfully, like once you know me, like I'm not those things. Like, I mean, wouldn't you admit I'm like pretty silly and like, yeah, you know, and yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're probably all of those things <laughs> actually. I mean, all of those things and none of those things, you know? Well, thank you. Well, I, get, I, I get fairly mystical about it. <laughs> you know, like I think we're all capable of being, all the things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, that's part of the journey. So, right. Jump forward. Um, I was surprised pregnant two months before my wedding. Uh, found out I was two months pregnant. <laughs> so you guys were already engaged? Yes. Oh. We were two two months out from, from our wedding. wedding. Okay. Yeah. My dress had to be let out like 10 times for my wow. breasts. <laughs> like, oh my like, yeah, it was a thing. That. It was like not expected. I was filming Supergirl. <laughs> Yeah, wow. pregnant, yeah. <laughs> you know, no one knew and yeah. no idea what was going to happen, if I was going to stay reoccurring on there or what the role was going to be, Was had no idea if this was going to change everything for me, <laughs> like, uh -huh. you know, and um, was still, was, was filming Supergirl basically like four months pregnant, week before my wedding, I wrapped that, I think, uh, I've got to fly home to get married and to like, you know, all the things and, um, and then had... My wedding, had a beautiful pregnancy, finally stopped auditioning and doing all that. By the time I was like six and a half months pregnant or something, I finally looked pregnant and uh -huh, I could uh -huh. not. And I was up for a movie and like a different television show then. And like I, 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 I basically said to my reps, like, this is where I start burning relationships. If I don't tell people I'm pregnant and I book this television exactly. show, they're going to yeah, hate really me. Yeah, yeah that, this is detrimental. So I, we have to tell people I have to stop auditioning. Like, yeah. this is that, you know, and. And then jump forward, you know, once again, I would go into my story for a million hours, but basically I got dropped by my reps, which I don't tell a lot of people, but now I'm ready to tell because well, I'm not ashamed of it's that. It's such like, an important part of the story, I feel like, too. It I really mean, is. It really is a huge part of the story because not a lot of people get dropped by their reps, um, by the way, like with a newborn infant. Um, and just with the most heat I had had in forever. Like, so their thing was, yeah, like um, very unexpectedly, very unexpectedly, uh, and, and then go on to do what you did, which is the rest of what the story is going to well, be, which but. is their thank you to them. Thank you to the reps who dropped me and left me at the most rock bottom I've ever been holding a tiny infant with no idea what I'm going to do with my life anymore. No idea who I am. No idea 
what I'm going to do with all these stories in my mind that I've known I need to tell. And I had the finished script at that time. When I met Anthony, I had just finished the first draft really officially. And then, um, yeah, jump forward. I have no prospects of what I'm going to do, no idea what I'm going to do with my life. And I went, you know what? I'm, I don't want to tell other people's stories that I you, you made know. a decision you're like I'm not gonna just try and go get agents again although you'd sure like some reps that'd be nice yeah but like you made it as it you weren't gonna like no one was gonna give me the roles that I I really wanted to play yet uh, it seemed and no one and reps yeah just like whatever right screw all of yeah, that and the you point had is, is I was at, I had no idea what I was gonna do and I went this is what I'm gonna do this is the story that's burning inside of me to tell this is the subject I want to talk about this is the thing I have to say and also not to mention holding that baby in your arms for the first time and you and I <laughs> I'll never forget crying hysterically holding a plastic baby in that hospital <laughs> because the second that you hold that baby your entire life your entire existence is changed. Mm -hmm. You are never the same. And mm -hmm. I went, I want to do, I want to make him proud. I wanted, I had so many things I wanted to say, you mm -hmm. know, and, uh, and I was tired of waiting to get to say them. So I started my fucking journey of trying to make continue and being really hard on myself and finally letting people read my writing and finally getting notes on my writing. And, and, you know, there was a lot of like, I, I don't want to go too much into the story of with the script, but I had a lot of kickback on the script. No, they told me no one wanted to talk about mental health mm -hmm. and depression and suicide. It's a no, no topic. Mm -hmm. And then no one was going to like my twists and turns, mm -hmm. which, you know, the twists and turns, no one else does, but you know, the twists and turns, no one was going to like that. And, and basically I had to fight for my vision and for the way that the story is told. And I had options of people ooh, who were interested in this, um, who were interested in the film if I would change it to be more what they wanted it to be, not what I want, what my vision was. And which that whole vision, by the way, is communicate. My entire message is communicated through this one thing in particular I'm talking about with the movie. Yeah. So changing that means I just made a film that is about one thing, which is suicide prevention, breaking the stigma about around mental health, communicating about what it's truly like to looks like and is to be depressed. You know, that was my message. Suicide prevention an honest portrayal of depression and your life matters. Mm -hmm. And if I took away the things that we're talking about, then it's just another film with the pretty girl getting a happy ending and that everything comes together easily for her and mm -hmm. there's no obstacles. And, and then now we're just telling a film and it, and that's great, but yeah. it's not my film. Right. It's not my story, yeah. not my message. Yeah. I want people to know they're not alone. I want people to know that their life matters and I want people to live another day, you mm -hmm. know, and like I did, mm -hmm. because had I died at 23, I look at all the things and I wouldn't have said and I wouldn't have been able to do and I wouldn't have had and and um, and I have so much gratitude, you mm -hmm. know, and not to say that it gets easy. I, I guess that's the one thing I want to definitely say now. I still battle depression in a very, very real and vivid way, but. And I want to talk about that. Okay. Um, but, okay, so, all right. So you 
Okay, so you start getting feedback <laughs> on the movie. You have no agent. I imagine that's really hard, just like, fuck, like just putting one foot in front of the other there. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, getting a movie made is, a lot of people say it's almost impossible. Yeah. I, don't, it, I mean, it, it is. it's very yes. hard, right? Um, and you had some specific people in mind that you wanted to work with. Yes, Cassian is yes. who you're talking about. Yeah. Yes. So Cassian always. So, and how did you like get this in your mind that that's who you wanted to work with? Well, I had worked with him on Cabin Fever and okay. when we met on set, um, I just loved him. I loved hearing him talk. I, I mean, I idolized him. He worked on half the movies like I wanted to be working on someday, you know, and like the fact that I was working on Cabin Fever, I mean, like to, to you know, I'll say I'm, so proud of that film because it really did. It started everything for me. It was the yeah. first real chance to act. It was the first real chance for people to kind of see me do what I do. But also it was what introduced me to Cassian and, and Cassian's changed my life, you know. And um, and so basically, long story short, I always I had it on a vision board. I knew who he was who I wanted to work with. And uh, I just never gave up that hope and basically had gotten the script to a really good place. And. I was sitting like I think he and I like he, he and I will probably always remember this differently because his world was, you know, very busy and full and he's making huge movies and mine was not. So I know very specifically that it was like almost like a miracle what happened. But I was sitting with a writer friend of mine who was giving me notes on uh, a script and Anthony was there with us because this is a mutual friend of us. Anthony is your husband. Anthony is my husband, and yeah. he is wearing my son Zach at the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we, we we had just had not that long before that. He's wearing him in the little ergo baby carriers, which yeah. was our safe haven because our son had colic, so he was never not on our chest. Like yeah. we wore him every day, everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I was sitting there, and the uh, her name is Adria. Adria said, um. Uh, what's happening with Continue? Like, that's the that's the film. Like, what's happening? And I know you guys are trying to get it made and you're still actively da-da-da and people are reading it and da-da-da. And I said, you know, I'm just getting notes. I'm really working on the script and I'm trying to get it to a place. Like, I finally think it's ready for me to send out. And, you know, like, my dream person is Cassian. And, I, and he and I really hit it off on set. And I just feel like, I feel like, man, if I could just run into him to remind him who I am, I'd have the confidence to send it because I'm scared he won't remember me if he just gets the email, you know, because I had his email because because the cabin, I had everyone's emails, yeah. you know, the call sheet's an amazing thing because of that, you yeah, know, and yeah. like email chains and whatever. I, I, I made sure I saved it a long time before that because this is my dream producer. And yeah. he was such a hearing him tell stories about movie stars that we love and movies that almost didn't make it or get made. And, you know, on set, I was just like, you know, anyway, um. So I said to her, I said, I mean, man, if I could just run into him again and remind him who I am and I feel like he'd really resonate with this story. Like he's a person who like, you know, takes chances and, and believes in women. And he walked through the door of just the like of at that Jones moment. on third. Oh, he walked through the door God. right at that. And moment. what did you say? What did you say in that moment? I went. Oh my god, you guys! Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Cassian just walked in the door, and they're like, "Shut the fuck up!" Like, no, they, no, he didn't. I, I swear to God. I mean, you know my husband, so like, he's like, yeah. "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! It's him!" And Adria's like, "No way! You just did that! Like, no way! You just manifested that!" And I'm like, god. he walked in the door, and but like when he walked in the door, it was a very long moment of eye contact between me and him, mm. almost like he's like, I like literally, it was, I know you. 
Mm. How do I know you? Maybe I don't know you. And he walked away. And I'm like, yeah. you do know me. You know me. I'm, you yeah, know me. Yeah, like, yeah. look at me again. Like, we yeah. have to talk. And so, like, no one else knows this, right? So internally, like, it's so embarrassing that I'm admitting all these things, but I kind of love it. You know, like, I need people to know that you have the fucking Ooh, power to bring these things into your story. world. Yeah. It's yeah. like, and so I, in my mind, go, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And when I'm walking back from the bathroom, I have to walk past him. And if he looks at me again, like, hey, I know you, I'm going to freaking go up to him. I'm going to go up to him and yeah. I'm going to be like, hey, I'm Nadine from Cabin Fever. I played blah, 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 you know? And, yeah. And so I go to the bathroom and I'm, you know, I use the bathroom washing my hands and I'm like, my hands are trembling. Yeah. Trembling. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, you got this. And I'm walking and he's on his phone texting. Ugh. Oh, I know fuck. he's texting and he's not looking at me like yeah. and I'm like well about to walk past and I'm like oh man he didn't look up you know yeah. that because I, I I knew that if he looked up it was his window to say you can talk to me right. if he didn't he's trying not to see the person that he doesn't really understand you know what I mean like yeah, there's social cues bit. I think you sure. need to have a respect yeah, factor too. I would never go up to someone who didn't give me a window to go up to them I'm just not one to to ever I didn't I never want to invade make anyone space. feel uncomfortable yeah like, I don't care if you're my biggest idol. I won't go up to you, even though everything in me will be mad at me for not later. You know, it doesn't matter. I'm just not that person. Uh, I respect people's boundaries and like very much so. And I was walking past and I was like, well, he didn't look at me. And then he looked up and we made the craziest eye contact for like a very extended period of time. And then I walked up to him and was like, Nadine Crocker, Cabin Fever. I played Marcy. And he's like, yeah, I knew I knew you. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, come meet my husband. And this is my baby. And like, da, 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 da. And like, we just chat and caught up for a few minutes. And like, that was it. Nothing. It was nothing profoundly amazing. It was just that sign from the universe of, well, you said all you needed was to see him to yeah. send it. So send it, lady. And a few days later, I sent him my scripts and... You know, I ha we have a lot of friends in common. And what did obviously. you say in that email, by the way? Did you say, like, <laughs> you're my fantasy producer? <laughs> I don't think so. I think I totally played it cool. I don't know. I, I should look that up, actually. Um, I think I just by said. The way, it's a big deal to get a read. Oh, you yeah. Know, I think I, part read. of me didn't think I'd get the read. Um, yeah. But that's where a lot of amazing uh, mutual friends of ours um, who had read Continue. Mm basically told him it's really good or it has real potential. Oh, so you sent him the email and then you maybe did you hear back right away or you sent him the email and you had other people be like, hey, I heard Nadine just sent you a script. Yeah, yeah. I had people partner. I can't remember if you wrote back first, but I think the people who partnered with me to kind of just say, hey, I've read that script. It's really cool. You, you should, should read check it. it out. Yeah. Um, partnered to talk to him. And um and so finally he was like, great, can't wait to read it or something like super simple. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. oh, God. OK, okay. here starts a three month thing where I look at my phone every freaking minute. And then he reads what? It. And then what happened? Can't tell you exactly how much time it was. Truthfully, it's kind of a blur at this point because then we worked together for years before it ever got made. You know, yeah. it's like so. Um, so, OK, well, so jump forward. So so finally, so he reads the email and. Yeah, so basically he, he I, I, I remember because it's screenshot on my phone somewhere. Um, the second I got the text, me and Anthony were like crying and jumping up and down. And, you know, basically we're like, yes, our movie's getting made. Like, we're going to be, yeah. we're going to finally do this. And yeah. like, hello, jump forward years later. Like, it still took us years. Yeah. And a lot of hard work. Um, but basically I got a text from Cassian that said, um... I absolutely love this script. I want to make this movie with you. Oh and God. I'm like dead inside. Just like I have chills as I say right now, you know. 
Um, he was on my vision board for years. I know. And, and we're going to talk about your vision board. We're going to talk yes, about all that stuff. Yes, all the okay, things. Okay. And so then, okay. So then you guys start working together and, and so then you raise a bunch of money. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's even more complex than that, but I don't want to go so into the story because I just feel like the story is so many years long that I don't want, you know, it's like, Basically, he's letting me come in for multiple meetings. We've made budgets. You know, the mutual friend at the time was making my budgets. And, and um, you know, we're really just trying to figure out what could make this and, you know, get done. I attach Carrie Barden and Paul Schnee as my casting directors, yeah. which is like next level. Know, there isn't anyone so... bigger than them. I yeah. auditioned for them for years. So, like, the fact that they said yes to my script was basically like, holy shit, I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah. But Carrie had a really personal connection to the material as well. And um, basically everyone who has been attached to this film has some kind of connection to the material, which is why they chose to believe in me. And at the time I was connecting a female director. I didn't think anyone would give me money to direct it and lead in it and all the things. And the main reason I wanted to play Dean is because um, it was my story. I felt like like no one can portray this emptiness like someone who's been through this emptiness. You have to give me this chance, you know? And uh, jump forward, uh, Cassian, he remembers it differently. He thinks that I came to them, him and said, you need to tell this story. But what he said to me is, I feel like you're trying, you're spending so much energy trying to attach your female director when you've already made your lookbook, you've already told the story, you've already created this amazing Spark document, which is getting actors to read your script, like, which was my lookbook. He's like, you are so like, clear on the vision to these directors, which is probably why they're like, um, this, that wouldn't be your call, sweetie. Right, you know, like, right. and I don't know. I've never made a movie. And he said, like, I, I guess what I want to know is like, why aren't you directing this? And I just cry, start crying hysterically in his office. And I'm like, because I didn't think you'd let me. Like, I didn't think anyone would believe in me directing it, even though I very vividly see this film and I've always wanted to. Yeah. But I cared more about this film being made than me needing to wear every hat. Mm. And he said, I almost think I'd believe in it more if you were directing mm. it. And I was like, that's when I broke down crying. I was like, okay. And I just remember his face. And he always remembers that moment when I was crying in his office. I think he thought I was sad, but really I was just like, yeah, so elated that he believed I could do that yeah. and gave me confidence to believe I could too. And so then became the journey of, okay, I'm directing this and doing all of this. And, and then like long story short, you know, I got, um, some money. I came into some money from, um, you know, something really terrible that had happened. And, um, I didn't want that money personally. So I went, I wanted to help people. I'm going to invest it in the movie and hope that that helps either. We, either we make the movie for only that dollar amount, which is like not very not much yeah. or we are, um, or we're going to, it's going to help entice okay, more money. On. Jim just got home from a bike ride. <laughs> Hi. All right, she'll, she'll meet you after. <laughs> I saw him walking up and I was just story. like, oh, that's, hi. <laughs> okay, so um, either, so okay, so you decide to invest it into the movie. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, so then, but then, so like, again, like, I just want to fast, so basically. I know, see, you, there's, the story's too long. You well, have to flash forward. Here, well, just only, no, the story's like such a great story, but only, it's just, so here, like, the key points that I want to get to is that, like, invest, you invested some cash 
like other people invested stuff, money fell out, money came back, money fell out. Like at one point you and Anthony were like, I mean, it was like you had to take out a personal loan, like in the middle of production, right? At to the like, end of production, one of our investors who was coming in with the last payment just didn't. I mean, it just, just didn't. Like, I mean, they were contracted, by the way. And like, yeah, I won't say so anything more. Like because, so much stuff. All yeah, of this stuff so happened. So we are now invested, I won't say the full amounts, but a huge chunk of money. And then now we've taken on credit cards and personal debt for a huge chunk of money. Like a yeah. huge chunk of money. And, um, and like you know my husband's a bartender and like yeah. we're like living all three of us in one bedroom right and like okay. you know so where would you say this this story is at right now what do you mean like so you like you you submitted to festivals yeah so like jump forward we make the movie I find my cast I find my people who believe in me I find my investors uh, who have a very personal um, they've lost people to suicide as well like I said, everyone who really came out on this film had a had a, a connection and I found my people. You know, God yep. brought me to exactly who I was supposed to. Universe brought us to the exact actors we were always meant to find. Mm -hmm. um, just, I've, you know, the universe has never not had my back on this film. You know, mm -hmm. it never came when I wanted it to, it, oh, but it always happened the way it was supposed to. Mm -hmm. So, right, we are finishing the film. Huge investment doesn't come through. We take on that personal debt. Um, up to our eyeballs in debt, still as I'm speaking to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I now wrap uh, editing, and the week I wrap editing, everyone goes into quarantine. COVID yeah, has now begun. Three months, no one touching the film because the post house is shut down. Mm -hmm. um, then I'm commuting back and forth. We <laughs> move in with my parents mm -hmm. <laughs> because the debt is so high. And we were having issues with our old place, you know, whatever. None of that matters because the truth is I moved in with my parents because it was the best choice for my family. Yeah. And we thought it would last. We thought quarantine would be like a month. We all we did. We thought it'd be fine. A we month with did. relatives, this is fun. Yeah. Three months later, I'm like, holy shit, you know? And yeah. so I'm commuting back and forth, sleeping on people's couches to do the post on this movie. Um, if it wasn't for Christelle, my post producer, uh, post supervisor, I... I lived at her apartment for months. I'd go, I'd uh, come work during the week. I'd go home for weekends um, or, you know, take two weeks off, let them work, come back, stay two full weeks. You know, it was mm -hmm. just like, it was crazy. It was hard. Yeah. It was really hard to be away from my family. It was really hard because someone is letting me literally live on their couch in their room, you know, like, cause then her roommate left. So she stayed in her roommate's room. Like, right. I mean, it's just like, you name it. Anyway, yeah. jump forward. Um, we are now submitted to festivals it's the weirdest year ever mm -hmm. studio films are taking most of the spots at festivals i'm getting some of the best feedback you could ever get from festivals mm -hmm. but it's not a year of independent filmmakers you know it's yeah the weirdest year ever and it's been huge so blows had huge obstacles yeah. yeah huge obstacles still to where it like, you know, I, I want to be careful about what I say because I don't want Cassie to be killing me later for saying something that I shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> but, but um, you know, where you're hearing back from some of your dream people, like your film is unbelievable. It's just a year of 
of us having to make weird calls with our and having right. weird pressures from our festivals. And they're basically telling you everything you want to hear. And you're getting a personal email and a personal call from your the dream people. But you're still getting a no. Yeah. You're still. And then opens. What if I get a no from everyone? And so how are you dealing with that? So, I mean, so you have this product that has been like widely um, like praised and, and, and moved so everyone who's seen it moved everyone who's seen it. Um, and it's your and brought story. Me new films now. You I mean, direct film it. offers like everything, anyone people who's are seen offering this you have jobs. Been, yeah. It's like, it's uh, by all accounts, like a huge success. And yet you're still having some disappointments and we don't know the end of the story. We don't know mm -hmm. what delicious festival will be lucky enough to premiere this movie mm -hmm. yet. Um, but I'm sure one will be very lucky and it's going to end up in the perfect place. And, but like, how do you deal at this point with like disappointments? Not well. <laughs> um, no, it's, uh, I mean, honestly, through the support and love of my husband and my child and the people around me, you know, Cassie and, basically has all the confidence in the world. I mean, you know, he can't talk to me about the project or talk to others about the project without crying, you mm. know, and, and he's so emotionally moved, moved by my film. And, you know, I, I literally listened to him on the Todd Garner podcast the other night, like three times just to give myself a reminder of like, this is your dream producer who's crying on this podcast and, you know, called it the best debut he's ever seen, debut film he's ever seen. And so whether it goes anywhere I have to I have to see that as a success you know like I I did it no one can take that from me yeah. I have done it I made a good movie you know and um and I think it's really going to help people above all else I created a 501c3 a nonprofit to coincide with the film I donated uh, a per cert certain percentage of my own personal points, not the film's points, but my points as a writer into a fund that will go to nonprofits that are already established because I didn't want it to go to my own nonprofit. I didn't want it to seem, I don't know, I wanted it to go to nonprofits who are already really successfully making a difference. Mm. And so 3%, I think three to five, we're trying to figure out exactly how or what or what's happening of the film's profits will go to charity. I've created my own charity or nonprofit that I want to try and eventually start paying for people's help that they need. And I want to start doing workshops to use the arts to communicate about mental health mm -hmm. and to write, have people write these characters and get to portray maybe things that they aren't ready to say outside through these characters. And, you know, I just have all these visions for all these things that I want to do. And, and I have no idea. I have no idea what will happen, but, um, you know, I, so it got through it those things like basically through, a lot of prayer, a lot of trying to hand it over to God and um, just realizing I'm fully and completely out of control. And that's really hard for me. Can you talk <laughs> a little bit about like what that prayer is like? It's it's constant, you know, I. Um, I've always so even when I was working on the film um, before every scene, I said a prayer uh, before we called action. You know, mm -hmm. I'd do my direction. I'd do all of the stuff I needed to do. Then I'd put my actor hat on and basically I'd pray right before it started to, you know, God, basically whoever I'm meant to help or whoever this scene is for, 
because it's all for someone. There's someone out there that this is going to be. I literally wrote it for them. I don't know who they are. So whatever I'm supposed to communicate to whoever it is out there that this is going to go to, like, let me just be your voice. Let me do what I'm supposed to do in front of this camera to help whoever it is that you want me to help. And so I said that every single day on set. I always tried to make it about someone else because, you know, that's the only way to do it. If I had made it for myself, it would be this melody. You know, like mm. it just I just never wanted it to be for success or for me or for whatever. I wanted it to be for others. And I think that's the only reason that this film has had the opportunity it has is someone's looking out for it, you know. And um, so it goes back to that now. I'll, you know, be crying. I mean, I, I think when I got that, the, to know I was in bed for three days I mean I got up I did my mom duties but I mean I wasn't me at all mm. I was sad just deeply sad and um and I have a lot of like I have a life coach I have I have people I have a sponsor I have things that I do to try and get myself out of those moments but basically I went did this long meditation and in that meditation was like uh, you know, God and someone else, uh, basically like this <laughs> warrior. I don't know. It's so weird. I hate going into manifestation. Oh, really? That, so I always feel well, like people are going to think I'm a nutcase. No, God, no. That's what we're doing on this show is like exposing our nuttiness because I think that's really that stuff helps. I mean, look, you are a, you are, are a top notch. I mean, 100% A++ manifester. I mean, this story <laughs> is so bananas already and your life and, um, I want to know that. I mean, yeah. I want to know about vision boards and who you pray to and who you meditate with and who's this warrior. Is it a spirit guide? Like, where did this warrior come from? Yeah, well, this warrior, it was a specific meditation that my life coach just brought me on. Um, her name's Heather Hayward and she, her uh, meditations, like we end our sessions with meditations so mm -hmm. I can hear God's voice because I, I can't, I'm not, I can't do it on my own. It's so weird. And it's probably because I don't believe I can do it on my own, right? So the whole thing was to get a message from, uh, you know, an elder or someone else out there. And, mm -hmm. and this like and all she does is bring you to the hut, whatever you imagine or whatever happens after that. She's like, let me hear what happened. You yeah. know, like, where yeah. did you go? What happened? And basically, like, the only way I can describe it is this elder woman, like, melted herself inside of me and self-sacrificed to give me her strength when I needed mm. it to reignite the warrior that's in me, like, mm. that person. And she was looked Native American, and and I am Native American and Irish, and it just looked to me like an ancestor of mine mm. who looked nothing like me, but all of a sudden looked like me as she melted into me. And it's, it sounds like I was probably, like, on drugs or something, but it no, it was just, like, <laughs> the most vivid, uh, like, manifestation or vision I've ever had. And, um, and then all of a sudden, after that happened, I was like ascending to space. <laughs> like it was just like, and none of this is in that. Like, like it just was happening. This was yeah. a very clear vision. And yeah. then this entity who I always see, which is God, basically this like divine light was sitting across from me and then melted inside as well. And mm -hmm. was like, I'm always basically what I took it as is he is constantly reminding me that he's always there, mm. always with me. I don't see him. And like a lot of times the way that I can describe of how I see it is how he shows me as I move my hand and his hand is behind mine mm. and everything. And the one time I saw that before I was holding an Oscar, but it was his hand holding it over mm. mine. And, um, and so they were both inside me and, and like giving me their strength. And then all of a sudden 
the word I, and then I was in my parents like yard mm-hmm. it's like literally like now then I was outside in yeah. Fresno yeah. California yeah. in this vision and continue like the name the credits the way it is with the semicolon in the name uh-huh. came like was in our hands mm. and then they took a huge breath and they blew it out mm. and I watched it go through the sky and I was just crying <laughs> I'm gonna cry now but I, it's very moving this vision yeah very they basically moving. it was flying off through the sky and they just said trust me and mm. I was like god damn it it's hard but okay I do and uh and so now I just believe that exactly where it's meant to go, it's going to go. And I have no idea yeah. where it is or who it's for or, you know, who will see it. But yeah. uh, I just, you know, it just sucks so bad when, like, I don't, I, I know I want the film to be successful because I want the film to be successful because this is my dreams and all of the shit. But really, it's because I just feel like so many people need it right now. Yeah. I'm, it's so lonely yeah being quarantined and not seeing your friends and family and mm. and not having any idea when the world's going to go back to normal yeah. and not even being able to go to movies to like get out of it not being able to go get coffee not even being able to go out to dinner on a date mm. i mean we're really just all at home alone yeah and imagine being single right now or imagine being like me and my oh my god like just jump back put me at 23 and this time mm imagine yeah. I'd just be like a drinking depressed mess I can't I can't even imagine what me at my less healthier self would have been like right now what it looks like is me going on a six mile run every day crying hysterically and just yeah, like getting it, it all out on the the road as I run you know yeah. and like but before I had the power to know how to like handle these things mm-hmm. like this would be such a dark time and so you know when you make this thing and you just feel like it could help so many people there's never a time like right now that people need to know they're not alone that it's okay to feel this way and that other people feel that way you know and and not knowing when the hell they're gonna get to see Mm. it you know yeah it's really it's really powerful um i i'm working with a life coach too it's fantastic her name is her name is deanna uh i'll link to these people in the show notes um but she always says to me, she says, your emotion is gas, is like gasoline. Like it's so powerful. And I, I've like, I always say, like, I always like, I'm always like, sure, sure. I guess like I never, but hearing you talk and seeing your emotion makes me go like, holy fuck. Like that is so much of, it's so powerful how deeply connected you are to your thoughts and your feelings and, 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 and the story that you want to tell. And it does sort of, um, it, it really, to me, it really like signifies and bright flashing lights that like the people who are, that this film will end where it needs to Mm -hmm. end and that it will not be for naught and that your message will be heard in a big glorious way. You know, it's really beautiful. Thank you. Um, all right, so let's just talk specifically a little bit um, about, I mean, do you, you, you know, you mentioned a vision board before. Like, mm-hmm. what, like, I mean, what, tell, are you engaged in that? Like, tell me about things that you do and how specific do you get and what's your process and, like, how often do you, do you, like, are you manifesting, like, all the time? Is it a daily ritual? Is it something that you only think about when you want a specific thing? When I'm in my healthiest time, I'm manifesting all the time. When I'm in my healthiest time, I'm journaling every single day. I'm, 
you know, but as a mom, you know, like, yeah, shit, it gets hard to find the time when, you know, for me, I'm busy creating Continuum, being a full time mother with no school, no nothing anymore because we don't have anywhere, you know, like our son is yeah. home all the time and we are very hands on parents. We take him, you know, to the park, to this, to that every day. So it's like it's and then on top of that, I now have other films that are in development and I'm about to start, a re, you know, a rewrite on one and and a development deal. And like, you know, we're we're really excited about many of the other projects I kind of have in the works right now. But, you know, so it's really easy to forget about the stuff that makes you who you are, like the healthy you, the the strong and manifesting you, you know, because it's like those are the things that you'll kind of start to like, oh, I'll do that. Oh, I'll write in my journal later. Or, oh, I'll uh, do my meditation later. Or, mm. You know, but basically when I'm my healthiest self, I do a yearly uh, manifestation board. That board, though, some of the things don't come off for years. I mean, Cassian and some of the other goals that were on that same thing that Cassian was on and continue being made stayed there for now is this three like or four handwritten years. notes that you like tap some of on? them yeah yeah some of them I print out the person's specific face like a photo mm. of them I love some of them are just kind of like a feeling like I you know like that board in particular you know that I'm thinking of that had Ca like Cassian on there like I remember there was a picture of Angelina Jolie holding the Oscar for Girl Interrupted. Girl Interrupted is the film that I feel like is the most in common with Continue. So yeah. that was kind of just like a feeling and watching her do that and like someone I idolized, like, you know, her beauty, all of that. It was just a photo I really dug. And, you know, and then, you know, one was a house in Malibu, which has always been my dream. And like someday I that's all I want is to be able to smell the ocean air and I'm getting well, closer. Yeah, you <laughs> getting just closer. got an apartment I'm, on I'm the west side. I moved to Santa Monica this month. Nice. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, it's it's like, it's just overall, some are very specific. Some are just like, that's inspiring, you know. Um, and do you... And every freaking, uh, every festival that I've ever respected, like, was on that, you know, and it's just like... So you, you didn't aim at one particular festival. You You have options. Yeah. Are you, do you look at these boards every day? Do you I have them normally so I don't have one right now, obviously, at my parents' house, but the second I get back to my vision board, which is in a storage, um, it's always in a area that I walk past every day. So, you know, like if you had been Your to closet. like I remember like Shiloh came over to my house and was the first thing you saw when you walked in my house was my board on the left. And I, I tell everyone about that board, you know, and like, yeah. you know, people's pictures being on it forever and da, 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 and this and that. And he looked over and saw Cass the paper that had Cassian still. And he's like, there's that paper. And I was ah, like, yep, you know, and and uh, so it, it's always in a place I see it's every just single like day. It's like poster board? It's uh, basically a huge cork board. Oh. And to that is handwritten papers. Uh, my registration from my very first continue draft, I, you know, uh -huh. had uh, registered, registered to the, the WGA, WGA. Uh -huh. like, uh, you know, pictures of places I wanted to go. You know, I, you know, I'm still I've never been out of the country, like other than mm -hmm. to work in Canada. So I went straight to the studio to do Supergirl and straight back like I, that's the closest I've ever been out of the country. So, like, you know, I think Italy's on there. I think there's, you know, the Eiffel Tower, like there's just little things personally for me that are on there. And then there's big things and they're, you know, like I think at the time there was a Tesla. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. It's just big goals, little goals, and then, so let's material say bullshit. And then like far beyond material, like my biggest dreams are on there. And, and right. they're for everyone to see when they walk in my door and they're for me to see every day.
And so, like, do you take stuff off when you're sort of over something? No, or? no, you just. Well, oh, when I'm over off. something, yeah. When I realize, like, you know, sometimes they were just a feeling, and I'm like, yeah, I don't really have that feeling when I mm. see this anymore. Mm. Now I want this picture, or mm. you know, like, there's certain things, like, uh, you know, like, for instance. Uh, on my vision board was a lot of female directors that I really hoped I would work with one day or mm -hmm. hoped would direct continue. And right. those shortly were changed yeah. off of there. And, and uh, you know, it became and my then, story so that I wanted to tell. feeling like, do you, do you work with feet? Like, um, how do you know that something belongs on your board? Yeah, definitely all gut. Everything, like literally, I have always had a I worry some amount of intuition. I hate it sometimes, and sometimes I love it. But, like, how do you know that it's something that you really want, I guess, or... or I have a physical reaction, if I'm being honest with you. The way that I've started to realize when something is its truest, like, I'm on to something is I get chills. Mm. I get chills when I'm telling you about it. Like, mm. think about how many times when we were on the phone talking about my next script. Yeah. I said, oh, I just got chills. I just got chills. Oh, my God, what you just said. Or, yeah. oh, my God, I just got chills as I was telling you that. Or or all of a sudden I'm crying. Yeah. Because there's just such an emotional reaction. I, I think um, for me, so many years, I felt like my emotions ran my life and I didn't know um, what to do with them. And I felt like vic like victim to them. And now I realize, like, they they kind of can really guide me mm -hmm. like when something truly ignites a passion within me there's nothing stronger than me when I'm passionate so I you have an idea that gives you a feeling and then you fucking cut a picture of it out and you stick it on your board and you yeah and you or walk I by it or I day. create it or I put the name or I write the name the title of the film of an idea on my vision board or yeah or it's mm. just like a picture to remind me or you know, or sometimes it's just I don't even do that. And it just sits in my brain for so long that I'm like, OK, you're not forgetting this. So clearly you got to put attention to it, you mm -hmm. know, or it's always different. It's always, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's just strange. It's strange how some things come too, like because resistance still gets in my way, though. You like know, what? Like, like what? Tell me. Um, well, like I had an idea for this thriller that I wrote, which is a really cool ass thriller. And it's like, you know, Cassian's read it and he was like, dude, this so is so irritated by the sun situation, <sighs> guys. We're outside because it's, you know, quarantine COVID and COVID <laughs> and like there's sun in my fucking eyes. Never shot an outdoor episode or whatever recorded one. How do I deal with this situation, Nadine? <laughs> Let me figure this out. Hold on. Okay, we're back. <laughs> okay, we're back. Okay, this is good. Um, what were we saying? Basically, uh, we were talking about like my manifesting, my boards, my stuff like that. Oh, and I was getting to, uh, I had this script, Unconditional, which is just like a fun little thriller I, I had an idea for. And, you know, I wrote it in, um, I wrote it in a week. Uh, well, I wrote it in three days. Uh, I had this idea forever. I knew I needed to do it. I was like, All when? Right. When is this? Uh, before I even made that was the script. Funny enough, I was getting notes on when uh, I ran when Cassie and Lockton okay, Jones. Okay, so you have that. You have this other one that I read. You have all of these. Scripts. I have yeah. I have a lot of I have a lot of stories. She's like a writer. I mean, I mean, you're really. I mean, you're like you're such a creative. I mean, you're like Alexander Hamilton. Just like prolific. <laughs> you're so sweet. <laughs> you're just like writing, 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 writing. Yeah, I have um. You know, that's been on my gratitude list, I think, every day this week as I, because um, I keep a gratitude list. It's Tell the only me thing. about that. Oh, yeah. So um, 
was something given to me from a coach a long time ago, but it's, uh, I keep, I write five things I'm grateful for every day, five things that I love and, uh, two things that are working for me in my life right now, which mm -hmm. basically keeps you in the, this is what's really happening. All the shit that you're worried about hasn't happened or already happened. You know, mm -hmm. it's so easy to dwell on something that happened a month ago that you still can't get over or something that you're afraid is going to happen in the future. But the truth is, is you have to look at right now. Mm -hmm. What am I grateful for today? What do I love? You know, what is actually working right now? Okay, well, you know, there's a lot of things working for me. Like, you know, I'm, I'm working with my dream producer who, by the way, has now become my manager, who mm -hmm. is now, you know, like who's one of the most amazing human beings I've ever met. You know, like, so that was like last night, that was my one, what's working for you? Well, my career, whether there are obstacles or not, my career is going well for me right now. I'm getting to write. I have, I'm working with my dream people. Like, remember that, you, you know, I have a completed film that is really powerful and, and I'm going to share it with the world someday. So remember that, you know, you don't know what's happening tomorrow, but today that is working for you right now. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. it is actually happening, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and so I, I uh, constantly um, keep those gratitude lists and I don't even remember where I was going with that. Basically, I think uh, what I was trying to say is like, you know, some things come to me really easily. Like I wrote that script in three days, got notes, fixed it. It was done in a week. I did it as a challenge to myself to submit it for a horror film or a thriller contest. <laughs> By the way, it didn't get in. But, uh, but yeah, it was just yeah. like a fun thing that I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to see if I can do this. And that came easily. And then other ones take me a year because I'm terrified of them. Mm. You know, I stopped halfway through, you know, the first year, which is what you read, which is my yeah. next real, real passion project yeah. after Continue. Which is so exciting. Yeah, which is um, all about parenthood and um how it changes you basically i want to there's been a lot of movies about parenthood but um i want to see if it's possible to show the love and everything in you that changes completely when you have a child mm. basically like this mm -hmm. thing that's so intangible like you can't even explain it mm -hmm. like words can't even put you know truth like can't even explain it and that's how the idea came to me. I really wanted to see if it's one of the most challenging things you can do. Can you actually put that in a film? Mm -hmm. And then, so then I got to my gimmick about it. Well, like it's not a gimmick, but how I want to portray it, which is me actually having my next second child, using that child as the baby actor and me portraying the mother in my scripted script and letting them go on a journey with us for a year. So while everything is scripted and already very laid out, you're watching this person fall in love from the second that their child takes their first breath through the first year of their life. And we would basically film spread out over 12 months. And, you know, it's a year long process so cool. to make a movie. Right. So, you know, this is this weird, cool thing. And like it terrified me, though. You know, there's part of me that's like it's, you know, maybe no one's ever going to like want to tell that. And then there's another part of me that's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, that's the weirdest, coolest concept ever. Hell yeah, we're going to make it, you know. So so that is all to say, basically, like. I think that all got started from me basically saying there's nothing more powerful than me when I'm actually passionate. Mm -hmm. So like when something sparks, I can't stop thinking about it. Mm. I get physical reactions to it. The ideas won't stop flowing. I can't like I go on a run and I listen to music and I make playlists basically nonstop to help write to or that I want in the movie and, and just everything becomes about that creative thing, mm. you know, and then cultivating it and and, you know. All of that. So it's basically like a daily process of manifesting like 
based on how it feels inside and knowing if this is something where my heart is truly ignited. And when it is, I feel like that comes from someone bigger than not me. Mm. And they're trying to tell me something, you mm. know, like what I think you've called the muse and you got me to read the oh, war of that, art, the war of art. Yeah. 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 So it's you know, now book, I say my right? prayer to the muse yeah. every time, which is what I was always doing. Right. Yeah. I was making a prayer to God every day to put in me the words, put in me the performance yeah. that I needed to, for whoever what's is your, out there. like well I have a, two questions what the first is what's your daily like when do you write that list with the five things and the five five two list um normally at the end of every night oh, okay. before I go to bed okay. um but now I've been working with um a sponsor who uh makes me texture in the morning every day five things I'm grateful for Love which that. I was like that's weird because I kind of already do that but okay like but normally at night she's like well it sounds like you'll be doing twice a day I was like I guess that's your way of saying I told you during the day not night so you better send it in the day you know which so, is cool so I've been sending it during the day are you tell me about depression okay and how where you're you're at with it right now that's like the hardest, um, hardest question probably anyone will ever um, move that microphone towards your mouth while while oh, yeah. I'm asking you the hardest question. Yeah, hardest question anyone's ever probably asked me, yeah. and um, is my scariest question to ever answer. Um, I would love to say that I've grown past it and that it's become easy, um, and it had for a very long time until uh, recently I probably went through one of the first depressions that's been the truly deepest depression I've ever been in since I was 23. Mm. And um, and probably the first time I've ever had the suicidal thought come back and mm. had the true crippling emotions of just nothing and everything and then nothing again and it's the only way I can describe it. It's like a full and complete numbness or an overwhelming overwhelming well of emotions that I cannot swim out of, you know? You, like you're just in the bottom of that well looking up at the light and you have no way of getting closer to that. You're just in it, you mm -hmm. know? Or, you know, you feel nothing or um, you feel all of it, you know, nothing and everything. And it's just like the weirdest thing to ever try and explain. You know, I have so much to be grateful for. I have a beautiful little boy and I have, you know, an amazing husband and family and, and yet I can still battle these things every Does day. It, um, do you, um, like, are you getting out of bed? Are you moving through your life or is it like all consuming in a way that stops your, your life? It depends. Uh, I don't really get to get the all-consuming stop me in my life anymore because I'm a mom and so I make myself put every foot forward because I, you know, have to be present for him. And and also, like, you just – you have to feed him. You have to do this. You have to do – like, you know, so you have to get out of your own way. There are days where my husband does a lot more because you can see him, you know, going through it. Um, but – uh, I had some events go down that like were extremely uh, triggering for me and like without going into any of that because none of that really matters. What it did was show me that events can bring you right back to the things, you know, some of your old trauma. I mean, some of your old issues, you know, your old trauma, the things that are still always in there. You know, I always have uh, will be a person who has good and bad days, um, but I was very like crippled by it. And um found myself like 
not necessarily like rocking my sobriety, but like, I mean, truthfully, it was like, you know, had a thought like I should just go drink and, you know, like just, you know, chew and utter sadness. Like I, mm-hmm. <sighs> um, and yeah, some of those days look like not getting out of bed, you know, because I have a really good husband who will pick up the slack and give me a day, you know, when I need it. And, um, you know, some of the days, uh, look like any other mom, you know, Mm -hmm. any other person. And, you know, that's what I say all the time. I feel like a lot I've been talking on social media about mental health and that's because so many people think I'm just past it, you know, and that like, because you post pictures on social media of like whatever cool thing that's happening in your life or whatever picture you still have on your phone from whatever I did weeks ago or whatever that you're okay. But the truth is, is people are going through their own battles every single day, you know, and no one will ever know what I feel or what I have. And, and I guess I was very humbled to realize that all of those things still live very much inside of me and that I have to do the work and I have to, you know, I have to, I have to do the work basically. Mm. It doesn't go away. And the work is like making gratitude lists, talking to your staying sponsor, sober, talk, staying yeah. sober, staying sober. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought about medication. I was someone who had really, really adverse effects. I couldn't take medication. I had extreme suicidal behavior. And, um, and, uh, I, the way I would describe it, like my that therapist at the time took me off of it and was like, no, this is bad. Uh, we have to do this cold turkey, basically. And, you know, so when I got sober and when I started getting help, I was going to therapy twice a week. I was going to a life coach once a week. I was going to AA every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you name it. I, I did the work because I was like, holy shit, I'm not going to make it if I keep going like mm-hmm. this. And um, so when I got brought to my knees recently with my depression, basically is, you know, how I'd say it, I've, I found myself on my knees completely powerless to this thing. Uh, I realized I had to start doing the work again and, mm-hmm. and maybe I should go back on medication. And, you know, so I've been using alternative alternative things first. And like what? Like what? Um, like CBD and different uh-huh. things like that and different uh, like herbal like remedies. Like that St. I, John's work. Yeah, yeah. And like just different stuff like that I've been yeah. trying and um you know, so also like being, yeah, just trying alternative things before I do that because, um, because also, you know, antidepressants I had such bad reaction to. And then Xanax is technically breaking sobriety. I mean, Xanax is, I'd feel better on basically anything other than Xanax. Like I wouldn't drive a car if I had my kid. Like I wouldn't, you know, like the things that they give for anxiety and, and different things like are completely mood like, you know, yeah, yeah. like are not your clear mind. And mm-hmm. I can't ever like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. So I'm trying alternatives basically and yeah. trying to find my thing. And, you know, I have like a CBD pen and I have one that's like a, you know, 30 to one or, you know, like where mm-hmm. it has like a low levels of THC and happy to be firm enough and firm enough with my sobriety and talking to my sponsors and da 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 to make sure that's okay. And, mm-hmm. you know, but you just have to find your own path of what works for you. You know, like I have, uh, I don't know if I would be allowed to say her name, but she's very, very clearly, you know, from our movie, she's very, very honest about her, um, journey with medication and medication saved her life. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like if it wasn't for antidepressants and all the things that she is on, she now has found true happiness and, 
stability that she never had before. And, mm. you know, we had a lot of other people in the movie, uh, you know, a couple in particular who were suicide survivors, you mm. know, and and so, you know, I'll just never forget, like, I didn't think about it. And then Dale Dickey uh, hugged me and this other person that I'm talking about and said, I'm so grateful that you're both here today because we were both suicide mm. survivors, you know, and mm. and we all just broke down oh, crying gosh, hysterically because yeah. I'd never thought about it, really. Yeah. Like, I'd thought about it, don't get me wrong, but, like, not during production. Yeah. I'm working 20-hour days. I'm working seven days a week. I'm breaking myself open for this film. And, you know, I never took a second to go, holy shit, you wouldn't have been standing here, like, yeah, you know? And yeah. she said that to me, and it, like, you know, just really rocked my world. And um, so, you know... I say all that to medication could be amazing. I mean, maybe I should try it again or, you know, for some people it really is the answer. And, sure. you know, yeah. it's just, I think finding what works for you and what doesn't and, and all the things. I think it's really tricky, right. When you're sober, um, because like sobriety is a very specific thing. And I know within AA, like I, I'm not sober, but I have experience in program. I was in Al-Anon for a while and I still will go to meetings. Um, um, but, but like, I mean, AA defines sobriety in like a really specific way, right? Yeah. Which is why I think, um, so I didn't get clean, like I didn't get sober and- Not, and sorry, to clarify, not that people who are on antidepressants aren't sober. You oh no, be no, on no, no, yeah, and those, and Well, first of all, someone who's sober, if they get in a terrible accident and the hospital has to give them yeah, painkillers, that, that is not them breaking break, sobriety. Right. That is them- having to take something Surviving. for medical. Yeah, yeah. Like they have to now, if they start to abuse them, that's breaking your sobriety, right. you right. know? So like, but once again, everyone's sobriety is their own thing. I think for us to ever judge someone's program or anything, it's like, who the fuck are you to do that? So yeah. I'm a very firm believer in like, you got to define what's good for you. Mm -hmm. Now I didn't get clean. Like I, I got sober on my own. I didn't go to rehab. I didn't do any of that. One day I decided and I was done. I had a, what they call like a high bottom basically. Like while it didn't feel high <laughs> to me yeah. because I was a mess. Um, but I didn't like crash a car, crash a kill car, someone. kill someone. Yeah. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't lose everything I own. I, you know, I, decided one day I, I knew I would die, you know? So how high, how high is your bottom if suicide is yeah. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, yeah, my bottom was not that high. I'd say yeah. it's like mid, mid, middle yeah, bottom. Yeah, it's like mid bottom. Mid -bottom. It's pretty far down, <laughs> but like, I guess it could have been worse. Sure. Um, and I think so, you know, I've never, and I've never worked the steps. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people would, t would say right there, like just AA people immediately yeah. who are listening to this just went, oh, she's just a dry drunk. I mean, uh, yeah, she's a dry yeah. drunk. Yeah, like yeah. she's never worked the steps. Well, I am working them now yeah. <laughs> because I realized like maybe there is some like more to it than just not drinking. Yeah. It, that worked for the first five years. I'm five years sober. So yeah. that worked for the first five years. Maybe that's not going to work for the next five. Sure. Like maybe I do need to finally like make those amends and do those things. I just like I, I, I just have to talk about and maybe like this is where we'll wrap up. But like um, do you feel like uh, so Viktor Frankl, um, who survived the Holocaust and wrote Man's Search for Meaning um, and many other books, um, he said, and I, this is not the exact quote, but it's something like this. Um, he who is to give light must endure the burning. And I just feel like that quote really sort of applies to you in a in a big way. Um, do you feel like 
your creativity is directly tied to all of the burning you've you've experienced or can you talk about that relationship because it's tricky like i i don't believe i think it's it's very tempting to believe that like you have to have like a lot of drama in your life to create drama right or you have to have had a lot of darkness to to make cool things um and you certainly had a lot of darkness and you also have made cool things but you mm -hmm. also d don't really want to have that darkness mm -hmm. and you are a testament to the fact that like a lot of work can bring you out of that darkness mm -hmm. um but obviously the darkness is still really close to you and there and i just wonder if you have any feelings about that idea well, instantly when you said that, I got emotional. And I think that's because um, one thing I've always said is that um, I thought that I had had such a hard life um, because God basically put me through every hard thing you could ever have happen to you uh, so that I could relate to everyone who needs to be related to. It doesn't matter what circle you've put me into. I've probably experienced something the same as that person. You know, I've had my power completely taken away. I've had my own mind be at war with me. I've had more people say no than have ever said yes. You know, I don't come from money. I don't, I, you know, I have, I've had a really, um, I've, what I always say is I'm not a writer. I've just, uh, lived so much life in my years, uh, that I have a well to basically pull from because I've been through it all. I really have. And, 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 you know, now looking at the other side of it, you know, I remember having that day where I had that realization that I feel like God gave me depression and suicidal thought and all of these different things and the trauma that I've been through because, I was going to help people, you know? And so, um, I still, I still stick by that. He didn't put me through anything I couldn't survive because I did. And there isn't much that can bring me down, you know, in the sense of like, I fight through it for some, like I always put one foot in front of the other and I've survived a lot of stuff. And, and I think that that's all been so that I could learn from it and tell people like so that they don't have to go through it themselves, you know, and, and I can relate to any person in an AA room or I can relate to any person in this room or to that room or, you know, I've been able to help a lot of different people. And I, and I think looking the way that people think I look or whatever, they expect one thing from me and then they're never expecting all the things I have to say or the things I've been through or the things that, you know, I've survived or, or all of those things. And I think I, I think that that's why God created me and ha and gave me the things that I've had or I've endured the things I have because I can help other people get through them now too and, and all of those things. And so, you know, but at the same time, the one thing that also came to my mind is like for all those people who think that they have to go through hell and they have to go through the burning to create this real stuff, uh, all of my work on continue was all done through imagination work. None of it was pulling from my own experiences because once I've, I'm such a guarded human being that once I put up that barrier that I got through that trauma, like I don't think I could go back and pull those same emotions. I have to basically create my own through extensive backstory and extensive imagination work and um, 
you know, you know my coach and like doing yeah. fucking crazy Scott interviews. Anderson. And Scott Anderson? Steven Anderson. Steven Anderson. Yeah. I'm so sorry. He's brilliant. And he was on set with us for this movie and he really, um, such, such an amazing He said resource. one of his most proud moments he had was working with you before one of your big, really dramatic scenes. Oh, man. And, and I, that was one of the few scenes I got to actually just direct and be in the room for. And it devastated me until this day. I can't watch it without crying. Um, and it was some of the best acting I've ever seen. Kat, you are an, an immensely talented human being. And he watched the movie recently and said, still to this day, that work I did with her and that scene and seeing how it came out and just like the fun we had so on set. Profound. He said it was like one of the most amazing moments of his career. Yeah. And um, so, you know, that's to say like, you don't have to go through hell and back. You don't have to put yourself through hell and back. There's, you know, like you can create from the well that's inside of you. And it just all depends on who you are, how you work, all of those things. That being said, could I have done just imagination work had I not had I not been a suicide survivor and been through everything with continue and had all those years to work on those scenes and all or of those things? Or would you be as driven to tell that story? Is Probably not. Probably not. And, yeah. and you know, I can say I, I guess that's all I'm trying to say by that is like, you know, you don't have to have that life to to create. You'll still create beautiful art now at the same time. The reason I think that people can't watch that movie without being affected is because um, I broke myself open in that film. I really mm -hmm. tried. I really just tried to show what it feels like, mm. you know, to feel that lost and sad and to pretend that you're OK when sometimes you're not, you know. I think, uh, you know, I told myself when I was coming here today, because I know you and I know that you ask very, I've listened to your podcast. I love your podcast. And I love the, the <laughs> it, like the questions that you uh, ask. And that's when I told you, I was like, I'm terrified in the best way. I yeah. try and walk into my fear now. Like mm -hmm. it's, it gets me really like kind of going when I'm afraid of something. I'm uh -huh. like, oh, fuck you. I'm going to conquer you. <laughs> Who are you? You know? Yeah. And, um, you know, I told myself that, like, if you asked me those questions, I was going to be really honest with my struggles and, and with all of my things, you know, and I think that's why I've gotten emotional so many, so many times. It's so beautiful. I just love hearing from you. I'm so grateful to you. Just also like that film was really impactful for me to work on. You took a real leap of faith. I haven't done, I mean, I, I have in my life done a lot of straight drama, but it's not really on my reel. And this was a really deep role and, um, and you cast me in it. And, um, and you know, I just think you as a person, I think that, you know, your wish to help people is, is you are like, it's happening. Like you are living your dharma, I think. And um, so I find you incredibly inspiring. And I'm so glad that you came on this podcast. And um, I'm like wrapping it up. But is there anything else you feel like you want to say or came to say? And if not, I feel like you're very complete. <laughs> um, uh I don't know. I feel like, you know, when you feel like you have a million things you want to say, but you have no idea what no, you want to say. I think it's that like, it's so I think full. like the, the likely who, uh, whatever the powers that 
that B have probably made it to where I said whatever I was supposed to say because I, I have no idea what I was going to say, but what I should say is I don't like to plan anything. I mean, the, even down to my acting, I never plan what I'm going to do. And, you know, I, I tried to do the same thing with here. I guess the only thing I'd say because I'm given the platform and I have an amazing microphone and sitting right in my face is um, uh, if you have felt the way that I feel and you have those struggles, you are not unique in those uh, struggles and that it doesn't make you a bad mother, a bad daughter, a bad son, uh, you know, because you're sad and because you have your own shit to go through. You know, I go through those daily battles of like being so scared that I'm, you know, that because of these things like, you know, I'm not a good enough mom or I'm not this or I'm not that or, you know, I just hope he doesn't ever think that, you know, and it's just like the truth is, is like we're humans above all of that other shit. Like, yes, I'm his mom, but I'm also human, you know, and I we have to cut ourselves slack. We're doing the best we fucking can. And it's OK to feel those ways. But you have to get up and you have to put one foot in front of the other and you have to live another day because your life matters. Every person's life matters. And truthfully, when you commit suicide, it is not you whose life is destroyed. It's the people that are around it. It's the people you leave behind. It's the people who will question forever. Could they have done something? You know, what, what could they have changed? And the truth is, is nothing because that person had made the decision. And, you know, and if you've suffered depression or if you've suffered that loss, like you did the best you could you know, there's, there's nothing you can do if someone's made up their mind also. Like, you know, all, I guess like that's, we're just so, you know, I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. Even it's just like, if you've, if you've made, if you've experienced that loss, like it is not your fault. That person had their own battles and you couldn't have changed that. And if you are a person who's on the fence, fucking get off the fence and get in therapy or get sober or get fucking put one foot in front of the other go outside go up to a stranger right now and be like yo i'm really sad or not a stranger but someone you trust you know yeah. what i'm saying go to fucking call your best friend and say hey i'm really having a hard time tell someone you can trust you have to communicate when you keep it all inside you are alone you feel isolated and the truth is you're not mm. people love you they want you to come to them with this shit I don't know. That's it. <laughs> oh, <yes. laughs> you know, I, am... I adore you. No, that's beautiful. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much. I'm going to stop recording us. I, I really I adore Thank you. you. Thank you so much. For <laughs>
time is a funny thing in general. And right now, like, it's just like so much happens in so little time. And so even the fact that we recorded three months ago feels like, uh, you know, a lifetime ago. Um, when you just said three months ago, it kind of gave me anxiety. I'm like, that was three months ago. Cause it feels like a few weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, it was actually, was it three months ago? I think it was. It, it definitely was. We recorded in January, right? Yeah. And I hadn't started that other job yet. And I started in January ish, like late mid-January. And so. so you were pretty like uh, open about some depression that you'd been struggling with. Um, how are you doing? And like, what's been your process over the last few months and what sort of unfolded? Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. It kind of just always ebbs and flows uh, for me. You know, like this week I'm doing really great. Last week I had, you know, days that were hard. It's, you know, it's hard when you're a creator and your art is everything to you, you know, in relative, you know, my family is everything to me, but my art is also very fucking important. And, you know, it's, it's part of who I am and it's absolutely impossible not to take it personal or to not beat yourself up over it. And, you know, you and I were talking, it's like, I go through days where I think, my film is so special and this and that. And then I go through days where I'm like, it's shit, you know, like it's terrible. And I, and I'm terrible and, you know, I blah, blah, and blah. And it's just, you know, it, it, it ebbs and flows, you know? And so it, when it, you hear those voices about how you're terrible and the film's terrible and everything's terrible, like, what do you do to arrest those voices or, or calm them or tell them they're full of shit or how do you deal with that? Basically that <laughs> like I just am like, no, I choose not to listen to you. I choose not to, you know, to indulge in that, that, you know, self-loathing or that pity party or whatever it is, you know, cause sometimes it is self-loathing and sometimes it's a pity party and oh, poor me, you know? And so it just depends. But truthfully, for me, it's having a really good support system around me, you know, having a husband who's like my champion and cheerleader. He's like, no, you're not the worst. Like, no, you're, you know, so like I have great um, support systems. Like when I'm feeling really doubtful, like, hey, just like, let's talk about how I'm feeling right now. And I don't know why I'm feeling this way, but it's just how I'm feeling, you know, this year because of COVID and because of the times we're in, you know, it feels like even without getting a ton of rejection or whatever, I feel a lot of fear for knowing that the festivals are over flooded with submissions and that, you know, the theaters were closed. So a lot of films that would have probably already had distribution are like, oh, let's go to festivals because we can't go to this, you know, like we can't go to theaters currently, or, you know, there's just like, it's weird. It's a weird time, weird territory. People you know, are stuck at home and it's just, it's so, a weird time, but me more than ever, it's like my film being what it's about. I just feel like there's no time like now for people to be able to have that message while they're isolated and while they might be feeling lonely. That being said, like, I don't know better than God and God has my back. So I just have to trust it's going to happen exactly how it's meant to, you know? Um, so like what, like when you, just, can you just talk just a little bit specifically about your process? Like, because sometimes you feel like shit and like, you're not even in a place where you can 
like it feels so real, you know, like it just feels like you're, you're, you feel like shit because actually the world is shit. And actually maybe you're a piece of shit and actually like, it's also bad. And then other times, sometimes you're able to be like, oh, I know I feel like this, but like, this isn't real. But when it feels like really, really real, how do you know that? How do you know to ask for help? How do you know to like, 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 how do you discern, how do you make that first step? You know, like just being super duper honest because, um, because I can't get out of bed and I can't, and I can't find the hope. And I'm a pretty positive person. Like I really, I try and, you know, make people's days brighter that I pass. I try and, you know, always check in with other people to see how they're doing. You know, like I try to really be present in my life and really, you know, connect with every person I pass in that capacity. Like, you know, the people I'm close with, if you text me, if you call, you know, and, and all of a sudden I'll find a day where like, I can't possibly do that. And I can't possibly pull myself out of this rut. And sometimes life really is just hard and sucks. And for me personally, like I tend to have everything. My husband has said this since we've been together, you have everything go wrong at the same time and everything go right at the same time. So it's the most hopeful fucking three to six months you'll go through. And then the best three to six months you'll go through, or, you know, it's like, just kind of how it flows. It's like, you know, just a perfect example. Like, um, you know, my mom was recently in the hospital and at the same time, my bank account got frozen because they thought there was fraud. And, and so I had no access to funds. And then, um, God, what were some of the other things? Like, it was just like everything. Like when I say everything. Oh, and then my son, you know, he uh, is special needs. So he was going through one of the hardest times ever. And it was just like, literally, you can't make the shit up. It was just one thing after another, after another. And I'm talking to my sponsor and I'm talking to, and, and I said, like, it was one of those moments where I said, I just now am realizing that my life's a comedy, not a drama. Like there's no other way this can be deemed than a comedy. This much shit cannot go wrong in someone's life, like all at the same time without it being, you know, like, and that's how it feels sometimes. And life just has a way of doing that. And so I guess my process is I'll know, like most of the days I just have to put one foot in front of the other, get myself up and keep moving forward. And I'm just going to get through those things one at a time. And I take it a day at a time and I take it one thing at a time. You know, it's like, I, there was nothing I could do about my bank account and I could yell at whoever I want and I could let it rile me up and da da da. But I just went like, oh, well, okay. Luckily I have credit cards. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll rack them up if that's what happens until all this is un, unfrozen or whatever. And, and luckily by the time the people actually re- like what they it had to do with like um it doesn't even fucking matter it really doesn't doesn't matter but the point is is it was so out of my control and so I was like okay fine bye and just didn't even think about it and stayed focused on the tasks I could control and like at the time it was getting my son enrolled in all of his new therapies and getting this and getting that and all I could do was day by day take it by one paperwork at a time and like a lot of moms can you know, know what I'm talking about here when you say like the paperwork is never ending and the the emails are never ending and the laundry and the cleaning and the, 
you know, and it's just honestly putting one step in front of the other. And one day a day comes where I cannot do that. And I cannot like find the hope. And I feel absolutely hopeless. And that's when I go, okay, well, this is where I lean to the people around me to say like, help me find the hope right now. Cause like, I'm not seeing it and I know it's there, mm-hmm. you know, but sometimes we're just so closed in. We're so tunnel vision with everything that feels wrong rather than everything that's also going right. You know, which is why I keep my gratitude journals, which is why I try and focus on what's actually happening in my life right now. Not the trauma I'm holding from 10 years ago. That's still, you know, it's like, that's the thing. We're holding on to so many things that aren't currently happening. And sometimes all you can do is remind yourself like that's past, that's past, that's future. Those are future fears. <laughs> what is actually happening right now? And how can I change it? Or how can I work through it? Or how can I just be okay while it's happening? And I just have to like acknowledge you for uh, just like, you know, the amount of work that you've done to be able to fall back on, frankly, that craft. I mean, that's like, just that's like the craft of living. And that's from years and years and years of, you know, program therapy, like all of the things that you've done, you've given yourself, um, you've armed yourself with knowledge of how to proceed when you are laid out, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, mind you, that's all happening at the same time. I'm hired and in development on a new film and writing the script and doing all of that. And so then also those little inner voices like come up too, you know, it seems like anytime you're doing something with your art, like those old voices want to flood in and be like, Oh yeah, you can't do this. or you can't, you know, it's like all the, yeah. I mean, well, well, even more than that. And I, and I want to talk about like those self-doubting voices too, but like, um, to me also what's interesting about what you said is that um while your bank account is frozen and your how's your mom by the way she's good she's good it was uh really scary for a minute there and their biggest fear was um was colon cancer and but Uh everything worked out everything after some you know a lot of tests and a lot of you know antibiotics and things and this and that um she's fine now or she's recovering and and so she's going to okay. be okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank God. Like- but you know, whenever anything like that happens with your parents and I'm also three and a half hours away. And so like, you know, we dropped everything and drove there and it's yeah. like, and then, you know, yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. So you have like your mom is in the hospital, your bank account is frozen. Your son who needs a lot of support is having like a really hard yeah. time, all of the things. And at the same time, like there's all of the success happening. Like the movie has received incredible feedback. You've gotten this incredible job based on your incredible work on continue as like, you're working on this new movie. Um, and, um, and I just think like, it's always, it's always again, like for the bazillionth time important, I think to remind ourselves that like, that no one circumstance in your life 
changes the insides of your life. Um, and although like this isn't one of those examples, uh, uh, extreme examples where it's like, everything's going amazing, but you feel like shit, this is a really balanced example where like some things are going amazingly well and other things are going really shitty. Um, it's still like, I think really, um, just important to note that, that, that inner work is inner work. And like, we always, um, we have a choice if our circumstances are shitty to do the inner work, to make ourselves feel better, despite, uh, those circumstances, obviously the shittier, the circumstances, the harder that is. And we also have a choice to, because sometimes we go the other way where our circumstances are fucking amazing and we still feel like shit. And so we go like, we have to then like align ourselves with the, the bounty that is, that are, that is our circumstance, um, which for a lot of people, myself included at times can be really hard to acknowledge our successes, to take in the accolade we got or the success that we had to make it just all shit because we're still not good enough. It's still worthless in some way. It's still bullshit. Like maybe the film is amazing, but you know, so-and-so didn't, but like this it. person didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> like, so it's I all shit. Everybody is, and they didn't like it. So it's terrible now. Yeah. Right. So like, all no matter bullshit. our, no matter our circumstances, it's always the, the, it's always an inner game. It's always the game. The game is always our inner work. How, what do we take in and what do we, how do we process the things that, you know, were that aren't serving us and how do we process the pain that we feel? Um, and, you know, and you said something that, yeah, you actually said something that really stood out to me too, is you're like, you know, sometimes there isn't even a, a reason why like things can be going great. And that's actually like, it's funny because I was recently, I speaking of that where things are going great and you still feel that way. And then you're so mad at yourself because there's, you're like, but why? Like now I don't even have a reason. I can't even rationalize it. So now I'm even more mad at myself. And it's like, that's the truth is like some days it's not even all the bad things that are happening around you. Mm -hmm. It's just truly something that's happening only internal. And those days are actually the harder days. Yeah. And how do you explain that? I mean, I, 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 you know, I have my own like theories about why that is. Do you, have you, have you thought about that for yourself? like why those days come up when there's not even something. Yeah. Um, I think back programming, you know, genetics also of if you're prone to, I mean, I don't truly know. I think, I think I've just always known I've battled with depression. So, you know, some days I'm just going to have a bad day. I'm like, you know, I, I, my, my family is like riddled with like every disorder you can be riddled with. Like my dad has crazy OCD. So I have a lot of tendencies of, of OCD. You know, I have, I'm like, I've always been extremely emotional and I believe that that is why I can, I can feel so deeply and connect with people so deeply and act scenes that I haven't been through, but be able to connect and feel as if I have, or, you know, and, and some days it's, the biggest asset I have to be able to talk to a stranger I've never spoke to and hear what they're going through and be able to empathize with them in such a huge way that all of a sudden we're both in tears. And I'm like, okay, this is how we're going to put one foot in front of the other. This is how I've done it in the past. Or, you know, I think it's how it helps me connect. That being said, 
it's really hard. And sometimes I'm like, I wish I could just not feel, you know, for a little bit, like sometimes like these feelings are just too immense, you know? And so I think some days it's just really like your personality or, or maybe your back programming or, you know, just something you're internally struggling with or, you know, things that have happened in the past that you're still holding on to that aren't actually happening now. Like it's a million things, you know, and, and in those times when you're feeling down and necessarily there's not a reason to wrap around why, I feel like we tend to then be so hard on ourselves. And then when your inner voice is just doing nothing but shitting all over you, it's no wonder why you, you know, feel that way. Cause it's like, it's almost like an, the perfect excuse that like subconsciously, you know, bullshit's like, oh, she's, she's down. Let me, now I can sneak out because she's not paying attention. You know, like she's not on me today. You know, mm-hmm. she's laying in a bed, which means I can be like, oh, by the way, mm-hmm. you're a bad mom and your movie sucks. And, you know, you should probably just stop writing because yeah. <laughs> it's <shit's> too long. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any like, uh, like, uh, so I know, so you, you talked to your sponsor, obviously your husband, Anthony is so sweet and supportive. Um, and you have friends and you have like all of these things, resources, but like, do you have any like mantras or other like private or more private or Jesus Christ, I can't talk, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like private practices, like journaling or meditate, like what or prayer or like what else helps you, um, sort of combat those voices? activity is a really big one for me. I run, uh, I box, I, um, I do a lot of things like that to get out a lot of the aggression or anger or sadness or whatever it is I'm feeling. A lot of times when I'm sad, it manifests in anger because my body doesn't know what to do with it. And it's so like, just needs it out, you know? And so I think sometimes putting on crazy emotional music and just running. And I mean, I think I said that on our last recording, you know, like some days like running doesn't look like that pretty gazelle walking down the street for me. Some days, some days it looks like who's that crazy lady crying and sprinting. Like who's she running from? That's me, (laughs) you know, and journaling, um, gratitude journal is really helpful. I pray a lot, a lot, a lot. I, um, I, because patience has never been something I'm amazing at. And when you have a a child who has his own struggles and you really have to get out of your own way and, and also something that we've been being coached through is like never giving emotion because, you know, right now he's, he's really driven towards reactional behavior. He wants a toy. So he throws a fit and, you know, so we were going through some really hard, hard developmental months. Um, my son has autism. So, and I don't like to put him in a box, but I think it's easy. You know, maybe there's other people who are listening to this right now who have had the same struggles. And we went through a few months there where it became really, really hard. He was self-harming and he was, you know, hitting me. And it was like, it was like, you know, this whole thing, which no outer person would know any of this. Like, you know, we're, th- these are the things we're trying to learn as two young parents who have no family around and have never done any of this before. And so you know, one thing they're expressing is like, when something's going wrong, or he's doing that, you have to slow your voice and talk really monotone and let him know it's all okay. Well, for a passionate woman who's like, no experience with that, he's like crying and screaming. And I'm like, how do I help? And I feel like a failure because I can't help. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, that's, and you know, like, you're like, I can't do that. Yeah. 
slowly and surely I am becoming better at it and I am learning this ability. And so patience, you know, things like that, that only comes through, honestly, some days me falling to my knees, praying, saying, like catching my breath, calming myself, deep breath and walk back in. You know, it's just, sometimes I have to take a reset and, you know, it's, it's, the only way I can say is I've, cr- I've brought to my knees a lot by life and I, and I have no problem dropping to my knees and being like, I need your help. Guide me through, help me be the person you want me to be. Mm. That's who I want to be. Not this person I've been like, show me the path there, you know, show me how to become that enlightened being who can mm. shed your light, who can bring peace to my son when he needs it, who can help others when they need it and also still be okay. You know, like, so I'm brought to my knees a lot. I journal a lot. I exercise a lot. Um, and yeah, I, I, I will say I've recently come into some of my, the closest friends I've ever had in my life, you know, like even like you or just like, I have this sea of people that is coming, finally coming in my life. I feel like I've done all the groundwork and now I'm finally pulling in the people I've always hoped I'd find in my life these really enlightened these really deep like really connected people and um because I've been there so many times because I'm so honest about my struggles so many people call me and I'll have not talked to someone in weeks or a month and I'm getting a call and like I just know it's that call you know and I answer Mm -hmm. it and so I would never pick up the phone back for a long time. I didn't want to put my burdens on other people. And I started to realize like, that's what friendship and love is being mm. both sided, going to them and trusting them with, you know, my, when I need help and also being there when they need help. And it's so funny because me and my closest friend, Rebecca, like, I'll be like, Hey, you know, that the text messages I sent you Monday when you were having a terrible day on Friday, you just said the exact same thing I said to you, right? Why can we listen when it said someone else yeah. not ourselves, Yeah, you know, and we'll laugh because it's like, oh, what we should just start doing is copy and pasting each other's right. right back and be like, by the way, that's what you said to me Monday. So right. like, listen to it, lady, you know? Right, right, right. Sometimes right. that really is the truth. They're saying exactly what you already know. You just mm-hmm. can't tell yourself. You're, you're not going to listen when it's yourself, you know? Yeah. 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 Or yeah. And, and, or like worth knowing, noting that like, while we may possess wisdom that feels truly divine, uh, we are still in these human bodies and we feel we get wrapped up in our fucking stories. You know what I mean? And maybe at some point we transcend those stories and, you know, maybe they're supplanted with other stories or maybe actually we, you know, we figure out a way of, of really, really, you know, moving past our deepest wounds. And I believe that that's possible in these lifetimes. And I, and I don't believe you have to be like a Zen master enlightened Buddha to do that. I think like we can be human and really also transcend our stories, but that's a lifetime's work. And, and usually, um, although sometimes then we can move past things in the blink of an eye spontaneously, but then maybe it comes back. You know what I mean? It's just like, we're in It loves to come back sometimes when you do get past it too, which is totally okay too, because maybe you weren't as fast as you thought, or you remembered something that triggered it again, or you know, which is fine too. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. All of it. Um, or we just have like a more refined understanding then of what that wound is or how it presents or, um, and anyway, but I just, I think like, you know, 
um, that's like the, 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 the hardship and the beauty of, of being human is that we forget, we forget our wisdom. We, we might know it very clearly and, but we All just, the time. yeah. Um, and we forget our power too. Like I'll say, yeah. like, I forget all the time. And like, you know, I have a lot of really spiritual friends and, and, you know, like my friend will like recently I had a friend over and she's very spiritual, very intuitive, always has been like, she's very, like all she does is in her work. That's like her thing, you know, like directing and creating is like my thing. Hers is spiritual work and going on spiritual journeys and getting more and more in tune with like her intuition and like she like sees me and she's like, Oh God, the second I see you, like, I forget that you have so many angels around you. And like, right now you have five and, and like, she'll just be like, you are the craziest. You were a witch in your past life. I swear to God, you have this ability to manifest like no one I've ever seen. And she's like, and she'll just start talking. And I'm like listening. And I'm like, yeah, you know, like, I'm like, wow. yeah, I am. Yes, I do. You're right. You know? And like, <laughs> sometimes really you just like, you forget that you do have these abilities and people have seen you over the years manifest crazy shit, but you're like, well, no, this person came along and like, da, 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 and we're yeah. always ready to take it away from ourselves. And you're yeah. like, no, fuck yes, I did do that. Yeah. I did manifest that. You're right. I did produce that movie. Like, I did raise every day. I did, you know, yeah. but so quickly we forget and we're like, oh no, I'm just like a helpless creator and I don't you know yeah oh yeah or like yeah like there's a reason that that one thing happened to me or yeah fine it happened maybe more than once but still it'll never happen again and yeah I'm really glad you said that yeah I mean just as you know it's so easy to forget our power um in fact arguably easier um so I, I mean, I don't really, I just, this is really like a catch up. Like you are, I can reflect what your friend said. Like, I think you're just such a force of nature and, um, and I, and I love talking to you. I think you're so inspiring. Your story is so inspiring, inspiring. Your art is so inspiring. Like, and I just can't fucking wait for people to see your film and, um, and I'll release the trailer again, along with this, uh, with this episode and, I just like, I just, I really um, believe in you and I can't wait to see what you're up to next. And, and also like, just what a fucking joy to collaborate with you and be your friend and all of that. Thank you. That's so sweet. And, you know, thank you for all the support. Like, as you know, it's like being an artist means it ebbs and flows, your confidence ebbs and flows. And like, you know, these moments like this and getting to hear that from someone I truly respect, it's like, you know, it, it's like a, a deep inhale. Like, uh, you know, this is why I do what I do, you know, because I get to collaborate with people like this and people like this come into my life because of this story I knew in my heart I had to tell. And, you know, the truth is, is like, while I have this platform, I'm going to say, if you see this teaser and you hear this podcast and you connect with anything I'm saying, share it, you know, talk about it because that is how little projects like this come to light. This is how I reach the one person out there. I wrote this film for, I don't know who you are. I don't know why God gave it to me. Well, I do. I mean, I know who you are. Cause I am you, I have struggled. I am, you know, I, I am a suicide survivor. I know exactly what it feels like, you know, to, to feel those ways. That is why I knew I had to write this story, but that being said, everything I ever did, I knew it was for someone else. Everything, you know, 
I could feel God's like, nope, you got to push further. This one, you, you know, you're connecting with someone specifically. I need you to do this. I need you to say this. I just know I had to push. I had to know this is the way that it's meant to be. And, and so, you know, if you watch this and you're connecting with this, um, you know, this, that I did this for you. I hope that you like it. I hope that you connect. I hope you can share it. I hope that this film inspires others and shows people that they're not alone because, you know, mental health is a real motherfucker and a lot of people don't want to talk about it. And that's why when I listen to your podcast, Pat, and I hear so many really awesome people opening up about their truth and their feelings and their struggles, it's like, that is exactly what we need to do so that people out there in their house right now who are feeling really sad don't feel like a freaking alien because it's so easy to think you're the only one with these struggles, but the truth is that's not the case. You know, it's just that society's told us we shouldn't talk about all of this stuff all the time and we should keep it on the inside and, you know, yada, yada, yada. But the truth is, is the numbers in suicide are rapidly climbing and it is not just middle-aged white men anymore. It is our youth. It is kids. It is, you know, the LBGQ community. Yeah. I always yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah community it is the trans community it's it's you know i it's our veterans like i mean there is no one that's safe from this there is no age limit there was i've just recently someone i know lost a 10 year old to suicide and oh, i know it it like it rips my heart out because imagine how hard i thought it was when i was a kid <laughs> like you know mm-hmm. what i mean like we're outside, we play, there was nothing really to compare ourselves to. It was just our own, you know, thing that made us feel like we're not enough. Now, everything, everywhere tells you you're not enough. Everyone is pretty. Everyone is gorgeous. Everyone is curated. You know, everyone has a following and this and that. And if you don't, you know, it's so easy to fall into that, that rut. Like I see the way that kids and youth like around me are so obsessed with TikTok. And I'm just like, I just want to know that they're also forming their own beliefs, not just taking things they see and, you know, yada, yada, yada. I'm, I could go on and on about this, but the point is, is that we need to talk more. We need more things like this with people being open so that when someone hears it, they can connect and then maybe they'll be open too. Maybe they'll talk to their mom that day. Maybe they'll talk to their husband that day, their wife. Yeah. I mean, I just love, uh, your message and I, I, I love how passionate you are about it. And I, you know, not, not only you and not only your work, but uh, I mean, certainly this film that you made, I do think actually like literally, uh, immediately has the power to save someone's life. And, um, I think it's like beyond being something that's so, uh, you know, um, artistically such an artistic achievement. It's also truly, truly, truly an important thing. So, um, I'm so proud to have been a part of it and I'm so proud of you and I can't to see, wait to see where it ends up. And like, uh, I can't wait to see, um, what the life of this movie is going to be. Um, and I can't wait for people to watch it. I know me either. I think that's like, that's the hardest thing is like, wanting to know all the answers, wanting to know where it's going to go and who and what people will think and, you know, this and that. And like, you have half of the people who are like, you know, you might be that person that it takes 10 years before anyone knows this exists. I'm like, oh, yes, you just did exactly what I'm like. 
punch just punch me in the face yeah, just yeah. don't say that well like, we're wait, we're wait, you're waiting to hear on some delicious juicy festivals and i have a feeling it's gonna end up in the perfect place and i can't wait to see exactly where it's meant to yep. we we know that <laughs> yep 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 um all right i fucking adore you thank you for doing this part to, and um i can't wait for people to hear your episode of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks for oh <laughs> letting me blabber to you for <laughs> such extended periods of time and, oh, and getting to collaborate. Pleasure. I mean, I love listening to every single one of your episodes. So like the fact that I get to be part is just so cool. <laughs> it's such a pleasure. It's such a pleasure. It's such a pleasure. Okay. I'm going to stop recording. That's our show, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at I am Kat Foster. Reach out to us using the hashtag ActingRealPod. We really, really get those messages and we really, really answer them. Links and recommendations for this week's episode can be found at ActingRealPodcast.com. Episodes drop on Mondays. Most importantly, if you love this show, please subscribe to it, rate it, review it. We love seeing those. It means a huge deal to the show. We're so grateful for you. We love you. Have a great day. This podcast was produced by the incredible Augusta Chapman with help from our amazing coordinator, Hannah Barbakoff, and our very talented sound engineer, Baraka Jenga. The music, which I absolutely adore, is composed by Sean Hokinson. Hokinson.